Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Red, it took me 16 years to get here. You play me, and I'll give you the best I got. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, The Natural. Beware, spoilers. Coming to you from my basement as always, my name is Don. And to my right we have our comic book guy, John. I'm just here to play ball. And to my left we have the professor, Ken. Hello there. How you guys doing? Uh, feeling pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. Looking forward to talking about some baseball. How about oh. you? You looking forward to talking about some baseball? Um, <laughs> let's, let's just throw this out there real quick. I do. I am not a big fan of baseball. That not was, by any stretch of the imagination. And you know, and I think you know, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about a baseball movie. Yeah. That was uh that was a nice low, slow pitch right over the plate for you to set that up and let us know that you don't like baseball. No, no, not at all. So not that would all. be strike one. Or are we going to do strikes? What happens when we get to three strikes? Do we just cut the podcast off? Yeah, just go just, silent like the end of the Sopranos. You just oh, oops. Sopra- uh, spoilers. What? You just push that in button. Yeah. If, if, if I get, if I get three strikes, am I on the strike policy? Or is the whole show on the street? Well, then Professor and I take over. We actually have the control. Oh, that's an interesting thought. So it'll just abruptly end. Kind of like the way this movie ended. Holy buckets, the way this movie ended. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Speaking of this movie, real quick, before we really get into it. Did you guys find it confusing when the ghosts walked out of the cornfield? (laughs) No, they told us in the beginning that if you build it, they will come. So I don't think there was any confusion. Okay, cool. Because then, you know, when uh, Kevin Costner showed up, I was like, what the fuck am I watching? And then another Kevin Costner showed up and he was making out with Susan Sarandon. So I just wanted to make sure uh, we were watching the same movie. You must have gotten the extended cut. (laughs) Oh, is that what it was? The extended cut? Uh, There was two choices. Uh... I, I could watch The Natural, or I could watch Naturals, and I was kind of leaning toward that one. I was looking at Natural Born Killers, but... That doesn't shock me at all. That doesn't shock me at all. <laughs> Professor's just shaking his head. What? Do we offend you, sir? No, no, no. It's it's all good. No, no, no. It's all good. All right. Uh, this is our second fan pick, and this comes from John's father, Rick. Um, hey, do you know why your dad put this or suggested this film? You know, I asked him that very question while we were watching this movie. And he informed me that it was just a good family-friendly movie that didn't have any swearing in it. Although I did find one place it had subtle swearing in it. Uh, and that it was a just a fun movie. He just enjoys it. It's inspiring to him. Oh, good. And, good, and good through him. all that, Julie still hated it. Okay, there you go. Well, there, That'll be a big fan. Yes. She was not a big fan of it, but we did watch it together as a family. Oh, 
You're going to make me cry over here. That's very sweet. You have no tear ducts. Not anymore, sir. Not anymore. Uh, Professor, have you seen The Natural? I saw the second half of this movie a long time ago on television. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I, I never have seen this film. Yeah, this is my first time as well. Yeah, my dad had told me about it many times, but he, I had never seen it. Yeah. See, I don't think natural when I think baseball movies. Uh, the first baseball movie that comes to my mind is like Bull Durham or Field of Dreams. Um, but I knew this was out there. I knew it was Robert Redford. I knew he hits the money shot, but I knew nothing about this film. So as far as a baseball movie goes, yeah, well, it was a baseball movie. You know, or thanks to Rick for suggesting it. We were happy to watch it. Uh, so let's get into this review. Okay. The Natural was released on May 11th, 1984. It was directed by Barry Levinson. Screenplay by Robert Town, Phil Doonesbury. And it stars Robert Redford, Robert Duvall, Glenn Close, Kim Basinger, Wilford Brimley, Barbara Hershey, Robert Prosky, and Richard Farnsworth. Joe Don Baker was in there for a couple minutes. Uh, the Whammer. Was that? He was Whammer, right? Yeah, he was, yeah, he was the Whammer. Yeah, we're, we're going to get into it because I... And Rick, I just want to throw this out here real quick. If I say anything that offends you about this movie, I truly apologize. And that's my disclaimer. And now we're going to move forward. Don't, don't upset my dad. <laughs> I think it would upset my dad that I upset your dad too. So either way, I think, yeah, I, the mean, fact that you I think I'd be in deep his, shit on either side. Well, I was about to say, how are you going to go the whole podcast without swearing? And you just swore. Oh, is that a thing? Do I have to not swear? I don't know. And, I don't, I think we say just fuck that. Oh, listen to this guy. And you're willing to please his dad more than you're trying to please your dad. What's up with that? So I figure that my dad has uh, loves me for who I am, and he's, he, he's accepted me you know, for who I am. And I fucking swear a lot. What, what am I going to do? What, what's your dad's chief complaint about our podcast? That I use the F word too much? Yeah. We'll just leave it there. All right. Well, there you have it. I, I will say, what do you guys think of the cast? That's a pretty big cast. It is a pretty big time. cast. Yeah, a lot of familiar faces in there and earlier in their careers, too. So that was um, uh, an interesting watch just yeah. to see them younger like that. Did you see the young Michael Madsen? Yes. yes. And it's like, is that Michael Madsen? That's I, what I said. I kept thinking that. I kept looking and going, yeah, wow, that's the guy from Kill Bill. I went to Reservoir Dogs. Mm. That's, that's that's my immediately. That's where I am. That's immediately where I go to uh, for Michael Madsen. Yeah, this movie was made for $28 million, and it made $48 million at the box office. Uh, you know, 1984 was a really popular year. Uh, I was looking that up today. You had Beverly Hills Cop. You had Ghostbusters, which we reviewed. Um, big money makers. Yeah. This was a big, big summer. Yeah. Gremlins? Gremlins, thank you. That was number three. It went Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, and Gremlins were the top three grossing of 1984. I think my biggest surprise was finding out this was a 1984 movie. I could have sworn it was earlier than that. Yeah, it looked like it was filmed in 1920, where it's uh, supposed to take place. What about the uh, the the awards? I know it got some uh, it it got some appreciation from the Oscars. It got some nominations. Yeah, it got nominated with the Oscars and the uh, Golden Globes. Glenn Close was nominated for supporting role, uh, cinematography, art direction, and music. And then Kim Basinger was nominated for a Golden Globe as best supporting. I have to say, when I saw that Randy Newman did the music for this, 
I was very hesitant about it. I am not a Randy Newman fan. Do you not like Toy Story? Wait, what? I don't even like that because that music it. was so overplayed. I just, I have this thing. I just cannot take Randy Newman anymore. Okay, but. But what? How, what is your defense to that? I don't understand why you put him into a hole like that and say that that's all he is, is just Toy Story and that's it. Every time I hear you got a friend in me, I break a toy. Okay. That doesn't answer his question. What was your question? Well, I just feel like why, why do you identify him for only one thing? He's he's had a lot of other things that he's done. Yes, but when Toy Story came out, and ever since then, that song is so overplayed that I'm just annoyed every time I hear Randy Newman. I, I, I have to agree with John on this. However, uh, Randy Newman also has a style, right? And his style is very prominent. And it's, it's not bad or it's not good. Depending on the story, uh, it fits. I can't think of any movies off the top of my head. Did he do Parenthood? I feel like he did Parenthood. Um, anyways, I guess it's just so lackadaisy. No, I mean he it, he's an acquired taste. Yeah. Okay, but there's there's no singing in this. I know, but I'm saying when I saw that Randy Newman did the soundtrack, I was very hesitant about it. So I, I, for me, I I. I um, when, when the, the majesty of the music is playing specifically for the slow motion moments and there are French horns playing, I am driven to insanity thinking, what is this reminiscent of? Because I know this music someplace else and I still haven't put my finger on it where this sounds familiar to me. And I don't know what it is. I know that he's connected or he's associated not uncommonly with Aaron Copeland and Aaron Copeland is a composer that um, Appalachian Spring, that is uh, one of his more iconic pieces. And I haven't figured it out yet, but you know, it's going to be one of these things that's going to be just like, you know, scratching inside my head for the next few weeks until I finally somehow, some way I'm going to make some sort of a connection. That's where I know this music from. Yeah. For me, it's every sports movie trailer released after it. I've heard that theme when, you know, when he's coming around, he's swinging and the, it builds and then it pays off. And that moment has been in a bunch of trailers that's, that I know for sure. And that's maybe what it is because there's, there's somewhere else that I have it locked in my head and I don't know what it is yet. And I was looking through some of his other works like, no, 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 it's not that. No, I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. So Barry Levinson directs this film and Barry Levinson then goes on to make Rain Man and Good Morning Vietnam and some really good films. Um, yeah, so he, he had a lot of, uh, he did a lot in the 90s as well. He he uh, he did Disclosure, uh, Toys, uh, Sleepers. Um, the movie he did right before this was um, Diner. Oh, with Steve Gutenberg. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one I pull from the Diner cast. Yeah, so yeah, he uh he's he's done a lot of directing. Yeah. A lot. And yeah. and uh I, I saw that he is uh, directing one of the episodes for uh Dope Stick? No, what's it called? It Dope. might be Dope Stick. I have no idea. I, I've seen previews for it. I haven't actually seen it, but I know Michael Keaton's in a show like that. They look at the professor's not prepared. Uh just left him. Well, come back no, to him. It's fine. No. That was a really deep dive. I didn't think yes. we were going to go No, you far. you guys were blowing me away with your your knowledge. The movie is called Dope Sick and it's uh, it's on Hulu. And it's about the opioid opioid crisis and so he's still directing. Oh yeah. So yeah, he's been he's been directing for what is that now like what 30 years? 40 <laughs> years? What? Yeah, something like that. I mean, he's been around and uh I'm pretty sure he's been nominated for an Oscar or two. But 
Well, an interesting thing. I could be making that up too. An interesting thing about this movie is there are not a whole lot of movies out there where critics and fans will say that the movie is better than the book was. But for this movie, a lot of people give credit to him for this movie being better than the book. Well, that's good. What was the name of the book? The Natural. Mm. Had it been around a long time, the book? Yeah, uh, I don't know when the book came out. But 1950, 1950 maybe? The book was a lot darker than this movie. And it ends different then, or the book ends differently than the movie ends, and we'll cover that later when we go through the movie. I'll bring up some of the differences in the book, but uh, a lot of people found the movie more inspiring because, uh, like I said, the book is not really a happy book. Mm-hmm. Well, how could you not find it inspiring with that Randy Newman score and all of that slow motion and? Robert Redford being the most perfect natural baseball player ever to ever play the well, game. Well, he wanted to be the best. <clears throat> I'm, I'm curious to know, though, could he play football? Well, he's a natural. Well, that's what I'm saying. Dude, I want that movie. Give me Robert Redford playing some football. Would he be on the Broncos? Uh, no, because they don't like good players. Um, yeah, and I can say that because I am a Broncos fan. Yes, looking around the room, seeing all the Bronco things, and we do use a Bronco helmet. Um, one thing that gets me about this movie is obviously that end scene, baseball hitting the scoreboard, is in every single sports montage you will ever see out there. So it's like that the biggest ending spoiler ever. Yeah, there's really not much to spoil in this film, guy. Very paint by numbers. Yeah, this and, and there's some stuff that we'll get into as soon as we start reading the plot. So, yeah. In 1910, Nebraska, young Roy Hobbs learns to play baseball from his father. After Hobbs Sr. suffers an early fatal heart attack, lightning strikes the oak tree by where he died. Hobbs makes a baseball bat from the splintered wood, burning a lightning bolt and the name Wonder Boy into the barrel. Now 19 years old, Hobbs heads to Chicago for a tryout with the Chicago Cubs, leaving behind his girlfriend, Iris. While on the train, he meets a legendary ball player, Babe Ruth, a.k.a. The Whammer, and sports writer Max Mercy. At a carnival during a stopover, Hobbs wins a bet that he can strike out the Whammer. Harriet Bird, a mysterious young woman also traveling on the train, takes notice and turns her attention from the Whammer to Hobbs. In Chicago, Harriet invites Hobbs to her hotel room. She asks if Hobbs boasts that he can be the best there ever was is true. Hobbs answers yes, and Harriet shoots him in the abdomen, then commits suicide. It is later revealed she previously targeted other top athletes. This is the one big flaw that even my dad points out in this movie. Robert Redford cannot play an 18-year-old. He does not look 18. Not at all. He was also supposed to be playing, like later on in the movie, a 35-year-old. He didn't even look 35. He looked in his 40s. Yeah. So it opens with dad and young little Hobbs playing some catch. And when the dad dies and has his heart attack, do you know what it reminded me of? Superman. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, um, you know, he dies in the yard kind of just like Jonathan Kent did and had the same feel, maybe because it was in Nebraska and Nebraska, Kansas, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, very, it felt very Superman-y to me. Mm-hmm. Now, when did uh, that Superman come out? 78. So maybe it was inspiration. Oh, maybe. Barry Levinson's a smart dude. So, so we get to meet Iris, 
and it sounds like that they are young and in love. Oh. And I'm really surprised that this young and in love couple are not communicating with each other whatsoever for the remainder of the movie, pretty much, until right at the end of his career. Yeah, why didn't he call on the cell phone or anything? Okay, hang on. I agree with you 110%. I have to. I had to keep telling myself this is like 1910, right? Uh, or maybe it's... So he's nine he year, 19 on, years old. So t- so maybe this is 1920. He played on the 1939 team. All right. So let's say this is 1920. Letters. People wrote letters all the time. I am highly confident that if somebody is in love as much as they appear to be and want to get married, why not continue to try to communicate with each other instead of just nothing? I can tell you why. And it's one of the things that bugged me about this movie is in the beginning, he professes to her that he wants to marry her. But then he goes off, he meets the girl on the train, and he goes to her hotel room and makes that big mistake. Um, He says later on in the movie that he made a big mistake that night, and he could not face her after that. He could not talk to her. He could not have anything to do with her because he had screwed up so badly. He would, you know, For a guy who was supposedly in love with this woman, he was ready to sleep with this girl. And so he he did not feel he was worthy of her. So he cut off all communication. Bullshit. That's basically what he says later on. No, I understand that, but that's I know, a, it, but it, it's a bullshit reason. I I didn't like the fact that they had started off this kind of love story, this kind of beautiful thing, and he was so quick to cheat on her. Well, he was feeling the fame, and um, we don't know he was going to cheat on her. Why else would he go to that room? Who knows? Maybe they were going to have a cup of tea. Yeah. He also tried to kiss her. He did. Oh, yeah, that's right. Robert Redford's a player. I don't know what to tell you. He's a player beyond a baseball player? Well, he is a natural. Now, they don't actually name the Whammer Babe Ruth, but that's who they were going for. I was wondering. I was wondering. Because the characteristics were... uh, very similar. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure that the whammer was going to come back at the end of the movie. Yeah, the the director did say the whammer was inspired by Babe Ruth. No, oh, well, and I and I got to say this is probably one of the the scenes I did enjoy was um, on the train. Uh, Hobbs's manager agent, whoever he is, tries to get Max uh, Robert Duvall's character, the writer, to write a piece about him or just to meet him or whatever and introduce him to the ram- uh, whammer. And, and the whammer's kind of an arrogant asshole, right? And, you know, kind of shoes him away. And then this opportunity arises. And I knew it from the beginning. As soon as they cut to the whammer hitting uh, baseballs, I said, uh, watch. Uh, we're going to cut to Robert Redford and he's going to be knocking down all the bottles because that's what, you know, I assumed he was a pitcher. That's what a pitcher does. And sure as shit, there it is, right? And he's doing it. And then uh, they get into this bet and I'm rooting for Robert Redford, right? And they're going to slow down the third pitch, mm-hmm. right? And this is just kind of a taste of the amount of slow motion we are going to get throughout this film. Uh, there is a thing called overkill. Maybe back in 84, it was uh, perceived as inspiring. Now, to me, in 2021, it is annoying. When did Chariots of Fire come out? 84? Maybe no, 82. 83? I, say, I feel like that inspired a lot of slow motion. 
Oh, well, slow motion has been around forever, but specifically yeah, in sports, sports films, movies, yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. That running on the beach, I always think of. Yeah. I did appreciate the scene because it was our first glimpse at this 19-year-old slash 40-year-old. Um, but I like the bit where he strikes him out and everyone can't, uh, can't believe it. Mm-hmm. Well, know? that was the case is that that woman who ends up shooting him was originally going to shoot the whammer. But when the moment that um, he struck out the whammer... When Roy struck him out, that's when she decided he was better and he was the one she was going after. And I have to tell you, uh, while watching this film, this was one of my what the fuck moments. Yeah. I didn't see it coming. No, I didn't see it coming either. And I think I literally said out loud, what the fuck am I watching? When she, when he walked into the room and she was wearing that black looking wedding gown or something, I was that off. was my first what what the fuck? And my I even turned to Julian. I said I would have turned around and left the room right that moment. Yeah, I would not have stuck around to see what happens. That next. was kind of weird. And then she pulls out the gun, and then she fucking shoots him. And I was like, what the fuck? So weird. But I guess we're gonna go along for the ride. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. One thing that's great about this, and for people who know me, they know that when it comes to movies, if I know anything's gonna happen. It's really hard for me to keep my mouth shut. Uh, Don and Ken, you guys hate that sometimes I throw out little spoilers here and there for things we're going to go watch or things that I've seen or things I've read on the internet. I now have learned that I get it from my father. Because before every scene in this movie, before everything happens, my dad says things like, oh, oh, wait, you guys got to watch this. She's about to do it. Or right in the beginning of the movie where you know he's playing throw with his, bo- his dad, my dad says, "Oh wow! Did this, you? This is how the movie ends." Did you just say, "Is he playing? He's playing throw with his dad." <laughs> no, he's throwing the ball with his dad. Yeah. It's called catch. Catch. Well, anyway, uh, my dad says, "Oh wow! This is how the movie ends," and so I was like, "Okay." And Julie and I just kept laughing about it. Um, but yeah, so my dad's just like me. Oh no, you're just like your dad. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. And it doesn't frustrate you guys that I do that, right? <clears throat> Uh, I think you're, you know what? Your dad's listening. So I'm not going to say that. Um, you're going to blame my dad, weren't you? No, I wasn't going to blame your dad. I like your dad. Uh, so there's the difference. 16 years later in 1939, Hobbs is signed as a rookie to the New York Knights, a struggling ball club sitting in last place. Manager pop Fisher is furious that Hobbs was signed, believing him too old. He initially refuses to play him, but finally relents. At the first batting practice, Hobb amazes the entire team with his powerful hitting. The following game, Pop's benches star outfielder Bump Bailey after a reckless play. Pop has Hobbs pinch hit, and he literally knocks the baseball's cover off. Shortly after, Bailey is killed crashing headfirst through an outfield wall, resulting in Hobbs becoming starting outfielder. Hobbs becomes a sensation and the Knights' fortune turn around. Max Mercy finds Hobbs familiar but fails to recognize him as the teenager who struck out the whammer on a bet. Assistant manager Red tells Hobbs that if Pop loses the pennant this year, his Knights ownership share will revert to the judge, the team's majority owner leaving Pop permanently out of the sport. The judge offers Hobbs $5,000 to throw the season. Hobbs, unlike Bump Bailey, refuses the bribe. While watching Hobbs pitch during a practice session, Mercy suddenly remembers him. 
Mercy introduces Hobbs to Gus Sands, a bookie who places large bets against Hobbs. He also meets Pop's beautiful niece, Mimo Paris, who was Bum's girlfriend. Their budding romance causes a distracted Hobbs game to slump. Pop cautions Hobbs about Memo, who may be working for the judge, though Hobbs dismisses his concerns. So you got an issue with 16 days or 16 years later. What's your issue? Um, that seems like a really long time to leave us hanging. And he, he comes out of nowhere and he's kind of being mysterious about his past. And, you know, every time somebody asks him, where are you from? You know, why is this your very first year of baseball? He's just really elusive with the answers. And I feel like they were trying to build it somewhere, but if it really is that he was, ashamed of what he did i don't know it just feels lazy to me he does briefly reveal what he'd been doing for the last 16 years yeah nothing he had been playing minor league ball and just bouncing around team to team uh playing a little bit but having problems finding enough money on the minor league team so he was taking odd jobs while he was bouncing around team to team Uh, see i took that more as he was bouncing around uh minor league teams more recently mm. he had been gone for the game for 16 yeah. years he just he just didn't have any money so he couldn't get back in the baseball he said he was very gun shy and he had problems with uh with an injury yeah okay whoop the fucking do 16 years 16 years apparently get over it guy he also was i think a little bit afraid his uh not his bravery his courage was something like his he had no courage didn't believe in himself anymore yeah well maybe that would have been a good thing to explore Mm-hmm. because very little is explored about this character. He's very cryptic in what he thinks and believes about things, and he always avoids answering or being forthright about who he was, where he's been, why he's been gone. And in general, he he just is pretty tight-lipped about everything, and I feel that the character really is there only to be a prop for being this iconic baseball player making fantastic plays that we watch in these moments of the movie. And that's about it. Yeah. I think part of it comes. And again, from what I said earlier, he's ashamed that he went to that room and he's ashamed that he was put in that situation. When it's brought up later on, when they try to blackmail him with oh, pictures and everything, he doesn't, spoilers. he doesn't want to, they, they basically blackmail him saying, you don't want to have to explain while you were in that room. And so I think that's one of the reasons why he doesn't bring it up because people would start asking those questions. Well, which I think is a weak excuse. Yeah, I think it's it's silly too. I mean, I feel like they're the missing. In I feel like you're missing the second act of your film, yeah. right? But you know, sixteen years, and actually, <laughs> the reality of it is, they probably had to advance sixteen years to justify Robert Redford's appearance in the film. So, mm-hmm. I wonder if they jumped sixteen years in the book. It, uh, the, the story in the book does jump 16 years. Yeah, well, it's fucking dumb. Yeah. Um, I think this, the big thing is it would have been a too long of a movie to go through that 16 years. And the, really, the story wasn't about what happened in the beginning. The story was about this person who should be at the age that he retires from baseball showing up and being better than everyone else and going on to inspire this team to win the pennant. Well, then why have him being shot? Because that asks questions. If that's not supposed to be, you know, the focus. Well, that's supposed to kind of lead the audience to why he disappeared in the first place. Yeah, just weird. No. Yeah, I, I didn't go for it 
I, I thought that it was uh, a disappointing uh, uh, omission in the story arc of the character because the character, for the most part, Roy, he has a young love that he completely abandons and then he shows up and he doesn't uh, want to have anything to do with anything other than just baseball until we have his relationship with Memo. And other than that, it's baseball or Memo, and then in the end, he does get back with Iris. But he's a really simple character, and I was disappointed with how simple he was written. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, simple is a good word. Um, so, yeah, we fast forward 16 years, and now he shows up to be... Uh, a wonder boy, if uh, you will. Yeah, I guess so. And uh, when he's waiting for the train in the opening, what did you think of? It, it is reminiscent of something. I, I don't Tombstone? remember what I was thinking of at the beginning because um, I did have a thought. I don't remember what it was. So uh, the the movie's opening and Robert Redford's uh, waiting for the train and the way he's dressed, all I could think of was, no time for love, Dr. Jones. Oh, really? He looked just like Indiana Jones but with a tie. Did did that train stop or did he jump on while it was still moving? There was a jump cut there. And it, I, I went, oh, look, there's a jump cut. Yeah, so I kept thinking, oh, I, told, I turned to thought? my dad and I said, dad, that train didn't even stop. Yeah. And then he's gone. So he's a natural. He just ran after it. So mysterious. Yeah. Maybe yeah. back then the trains didn't stop. Oh, maybe. I'm surprised there were trains back then. So anyways, uh, he comes to the ball club and this is where we meet uh, Red and Pops. Pops is uh, Wilford Brimley. Uh, With hair. Yeah. Uh, from uh, famed... Uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie called Hard Target. Did you ever see Hard Target? Oh, yeah. He's his uncle. He's, he's the Cajun uncle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's Wilford Grimley. Mm. He's been in everything. Yeah, he really has. And uh, it's funny that you said that there was no swearing in this movie, but he says son of a bitch all the time. Yeah. As a manager of a, a team would. You know, I for the longest time, I didn't. I thought this was the minor leagues. See, that's what I thought, too. That's how much I know about baseball, right? Mm -hmm. But it turns out it was the majors, and this was the show. And then while I'm watching this scene, I can uh, what I also picture is the scene where Kevin Costner walks in in Bull Durham and says he's the player to be named later. Um, so you can tell that uh, every baseball movie that came after The Natural took uh, some sort of influence mm -hmm. or, or some sort of uh, guide uh, from this film because there were so, I saw so many movies coming out of this movie. So mm -hmm. yeah. the uh, psychologist montage that we got just uh, se uh, sealing the deal for the doldrums and how bottomed out this team is and, and how there is no hope of ever uh, scraping together a win. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, it always cuts to Roy just sitting on the bench, you know, and he finally takes a stand and he says, you know what? You, my contract says uh, I get to play ball. It's not my fault. You're not playing me. It means that, but what it doesn't mean is I have to sit in the, what's he called? Psycho babble or something like that. Something like and that. And he walks off and then Wilf, Wilford Brimley was like, all right, fucker, uh, batting practice is tomorrow at six. Be there. And he, Robert Redford says, I am every day. And I just thought that was a good well, testament to he, his character. At mm -hmm. first, he threatened to send him to, back down to the minors. And then uh, after the big thing about, you know, you're going to play me, you're playing me, I'm here to play ball, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you're coming to batting practice. And this is our first real iconic moment where we get the nice slow motion. And during these scenes, 
especially these slow motion scenes. This is where uh, we have uh, Barry Sonnefeld uh, highlighting how intimate he wants this to be because it's a lot of shots of just one person that happen. So when we see uh, Redford at the plate, and then it's a shot of the Bat Boy, and then it's Redford and he hits the ball. It's in the and it's in the stands. And then we have a shot of Pop's face, and then it's back to Redford, and then it's another shot of the pitcher, and then the ball is off into the stands again. And then we look at Red, and they do, and this happens continually throughout all of these uh, these slow motion scenes. It is. Uh, highlighting always the individual and especially at the end of the movie the you know the crowd is always fuzzed out but it will always give us shots of just one person so he takes batting practice and now this comes to my second what the fuck moment of this film so bumpy whatever the fuck his name is bump, bump bailey is it the scene where he hits the skin off the ball or when bump gets the bump Oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Bump has to get benched first. Okay, so uh, Bumpy gets benched, and Robert Redford goes up to, uh, gets his chance at bat. He's told to hit the skin off the ball. And what does he do? He does just that. He he hits the cover off the ball. Yeah. And I got to admit that I rolled my eyes. Did you? Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah, well, you would. Did you like it? You like baseball. Uh, yeah, I, I dig baseball in a big way and, uh, and watching it, it's like, I wasn't in the least bit surprised that that's what happened. And, and then cue the French horns and slow motion running ensues. And yeah. Yeah. And, and so I'm thinking, uh, he struck out the whammer. So I assumed he was coming up to the Cubs to be a pitcher. And then all of a sudden now he's this monster at, at bat and, and then it clicks. And I'm like, Oh He's the fucking natural. Never in my right mind would I have ever believed that this was a story of the perfect baseball player. Any position, any time. I mean, yeah, he he goes into a slump like everybody does. But for the most part, every time he steps up to the plate, it's a fucking home run. Right? So I went, oh, he's the fucking natural. Well, it's funny that you say a home run because I actually wondered when you hit a ball like that and you hit the skin off the ball. Is that a home run? What do they do? They, they don't know what to do with the ball. So I actually looked it up, and I believe in the book, it was determined that that was a, a double. A, so gra- a ground only, rule double. He only got to second base on that hit. <laughs> okay, but he, he was standing on third base. I know, but in the book, I'm saying he in it was determined that hitting a ball like that was only a double. And I like how uh, the the other team comes out to the umps and they're arguing, arguing, and the camera's pulling back, and it's just Robert Redford on third, and it just keeps pulling back. I mm-hmm. thought that was kind of a cool shot. And after that, this enters, and the team starts to warm up, and they start to believe in themselves. Yeah, and then uh, someone asks Redford about his bat. His bat comes into question. They, they measure the bat. They weigh the bat. He gets the bat. They're okay. And then the lightning bolt. Uh, he uh, he says something. Oh, he tells the story of how he made the bat to another player, and then we cut to the player has a patch on his uniform of a lightning bolt, and then they win that game, and then they cut to the team, and the team has lightning bolts. So I mean, he's 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 making the team better, and he 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 
he's elevating everybody's game. And an interesting point that I found for this is there are Arthurian themes throughout this movie of like King Arthur, uh, in that like Roy is actually Anglo for king. And so the idea of his bat being taken from the tree is like pulling the, the sword through this from the stone. So what they were trying to say there, at least in the book version, is that he's part, you know, they're the knights, like the knights of the round table, and he's inspiring them to be better people, to be better players. Yeah, I can see the parallels. Mm-hmm. So originally when the author wrote the book, that was the theme he went with. The movie version, which we'll talk about in a little bit later, it actually takes its cues from Homer's The Odyssey. So during this winning montage, then we get uh, a montage that is opened up with the Star Spangled Banner, and we get to watch this this uh, this montage of winning, which, you know, the uh, the cinematography in this movie is is done well. It is done very well, and it it really. I think is what the movie is strongest at is these moments. Sure. The moments is pretty much what the natural is. It's not necessarily, it's a movie about moments and it's not necessarily the story of the natural, but taking, you know, these really cool moments and let's watch this. What if this fantastical thing could really happen? Yeah. The movie was actually the book and the movie was actually inspired off of various baseball player stories. So parts of it, did really happen uh just not all to one player like the the ball hitting a scoreboard and showering glass down actually happened in a baseball game i believe it whoop-de-doo basil do you feel smarter for knowing that no i feel fucking dumber for knowing that and then we start to get a kernel of something other than oh it's not a happy movie Turns out that Pop has an issue about winning. If he doesn't win, we find out that he's going to be out of baseball. And this is supposed to be... (sighs) Okay, this is what's at stake. It just doesn't feel like anything is at stake. Well, lucky for Pop, that bump dies going after a ball by crashing through right field. When it cut to... uh, bump dying i again said out loud what the fuck i had to ask my dad three or four times did, did they just kill him yeah yeah and then they do the funeral and this that and the other and i go this can't be real what the, i i thought for sure he was going to hurt himself and then roy would come in and and what's the purpose of killing him my first thought that actually flashed through my head and i think i said out loud is this is what don would call movie convenience yeah, well, it was convenient. Although I don't know if death was uh, called for, but I mean, if it's in the book, it's in the book. Well, his name is Bump. Well, you would think he got a bump on the head, not bump dead. Well, my dad said his or how he explained it to me was he was supposed to be bump on a log because he just played lousy. Oh, well, he was a lazy player. Well, that's how he got his nickname. But when he bumps into the wall and dies, yeah, you know, I thought, okay, well, just injure him. Yeah, no. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was a what the fuck moment. So, yeah, uh, after this, Roy does become the starter, and, uh, you know, the. The story, uh, the story arc of Pop and the ball club is revealed to us, and immediately Roy is on Pop's side because all Roy wants to do is play ball. 
Well, it's he, all he wants to do. He also wants to be the best there ever was, which I'm surprised they stole that from Bret Hart. Uh, I don't think Bret Hart was the was that in 1984. Actually, uh, it's the other way around. Bret Hart has said he was inspired by The Natural. Yeah. Well, see, well, there you go. Why are you trying to? I mean, I like Bret Hart as much as the next guy, right? But you know. And then we are reintroduced to Max, and Max finally is able to remember where he knows Roy from. And, you know, I had a hard time with this as well. How does he not remember him? That's what I'm wondering. It was 16 years, and I, and but I, still, why don't you? Yeah, and, 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 and I took that into, oh, well, do you have an answer? I was going to say, and he looked exactly the same. Oh, yeah, right. And so I'm thinking to myself, how the fuck do you not recognize this guy? He struck out the whammer. Yeah, I don't get it either. I thought the same thing. So here we are in this movie, and uh, Max is beginning to uh, remember who he is. And uh, we find out that the judge wants Max to, or now we get to meet the judge. Now we get, yeah, and he's our antagonist of the film, I suppose. I would say, yeah, there's two. There's the judge and, and Gus Sands. Yeah, but Gus works for the judge. Well, he's kind of a partner with the judge. Gus he's works a bookie. for Gus works for the judge. Yeah. Now, an interesting point about Gus Sands is I didn't catch this the first time I saw it, which was Gus tells a story of a bet that he lost $100,000 on. Mm -hmm. And he said he lost $100,000 on three pitches. Oh, I was wondering about that too. But then I was thinking, how could he have known? A lot of people are saying that maybe Gus was there at the time when uh, Roy pitched to the whammer. Like he was at the carnival. And he made the bet there. And that's another way. He didn't know it at the time or didn't know it even throughout the movie. But Roy is the one who cost him $100,000. Well, maybe, but there's nothing to uh, confirm that. Yeah, there's there's nothing to prove that. Yeah, but that's just another. It's a little internet theory. What if Roy, after oh, you know why he was gone for sixteen years? Because after he got shot, he got an all expense paid on the Titanic, and he was out at fucking sea for a while. I like that better. And then he comes <laughs> back. No, he comes back with Rose. And that's why he wasn't with Glenn Close is because he was with Kate Winslet. I like this what if game. I Let's thought, keep playing it. I thought somebody put like ten million dollars into him and like bionics and stuff. Well, and now, that's why he can hit the ball so hard. Well, now you're just being fucking dumb. <laughs> Asshole. Now we get to know uh Memo Paris a little bit better, Kim Basinger's character. And she comes in and I don't know, she feels like she feels like a black widow. Oh, absolutely. From the get go. And but you know that being said, Kim Basinger plays it very well. She's Never the mind. temptress. Yeah, for sure. Oh, from uh, Homer's Odyssey. Well, actually, she is Calypso from Homer's Odyssey, which I will explain. Okay. Well, she's Memo in this movie. Yeah, so, and that's yeah. what we're talking about. Rick doesn't want to hear about the Odyssey, bud. He doesn't care. All he wants to say is, "My son and his friends they rated this movie five stars." He has even said this is not a five star movie. What? Really? So you are free to make your own rating. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stand back. Hey, hang on, hang on. Didn't he say that this was, in his opinion, the best sports movie ever made? It, it's one of the best baseball movies ever made, but he doesn't consider it a five-star movie. Okay. He just said it's a good, family, fun movie. Okay. All right. And very inspiring. So just out of curiosity, do either of you guys have a, a favorite sports movie? I do. Yeah, I do. Okay. What's yours? What's yours? What's yours? What's yours? What's yours? 
Mine is the greatest sports movie ever made. Dodgeball. Oh, you've already said, yeah, you told us that actually. Yes, yes it's the greatest sports movie ever made. Yeah. And, but you, you're special. So that's fine. Uh, yours, we, good, sir? My, my mother always told me I was touched <laughs> in the head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for me, don't, I, don't do that to me. Dude. <laughs> I, I think that maybe my favorite sports movie would probably be Bull Durham. Yeah, it's either that or probably Remember the Titans for me. Oh, there's a good one. No, you know what? Rocky Who, too. Who's not, Hoosiers? Oh my God, Hoosiers! Hoosiers is fantastic. Not bad. Basketball. It's funny that you say that. So, with Why is that? So, with that You'll in mind, John, what do you expect out of a sports movie? It's typical. If you look at Bad News Bears, any other movies out there, team always oh, starts out bad. But, but what do you want out of a sports movie? The winning hit. You want the player to succeed. You want a happy, you know, red ribbon bow on it at how, the end. That's how I expect for any sports movie. How about you? What do you want out of a sports movie? Uh, I want it to be uplifting. I want it to have training montages. I want it to have an overall good message. And ideally, I would like the team that I'm supposed to be rooting for to win. However, that being said, there are plenty of films out there where the team doesn't win, and sure. you have to deal with that. Sure, and it's uh, still okay. That loss. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I appreciate about that is uh, – as you know, I, I coached for a very long time, and we didn't win every game, so I dealt with loss a lot. So when I saw it on the big screen, it was like, eh, okay, it's yeah. not so bad. And and I remember those volleyball players crying afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I will never forget that day. Too. I did want to bring up the point you just mentioned that you are expecting the team to win, but that always doesn't you know doesn't always happen. Uh, I want you to remember that when we get to the end of this. Movie. Why? Because he wasn't supposed to win at the end. Okay, you said it. It's spoiled. Roy's uh, budding love life has a direct correlation with his uh, baseball playing prowess. Which takes me to Bull Durham. Never, ever fuck with a winning streak. That's what Kevin Costner tells Tim Robbins. For me, this him hooking up with Memo was was like the second strike in this movie. In that, you know, the first one is... He professes his love to the to Iris and that he's going to marry her and then goes on to almost cheat on her immediately. The second one is now he's hooking up with a girl who's basically half his age. So that also seemed a little odd to me. That didn't seem odd to me at all. I mean, it, yeah. it was again, this movie is very cookie cutter. It's, mm-hmm. it's exactly what I expected. Hobbs' slump continues until during a game against the Cubs at Wrigley Field, A woman dressed in white stands up in the bleachers. Hobbs sees her, then hits a home run, shattering the clock on the scoreboard. The woman is Iris, and they later meet at a diner. Hobbs avoids telling her what happened to him, but reveals the truth when they meet the next day. Iris is unmarried and works in Chicago. She tells Hobbs she has a teenage son whose father lives in New York City. Their reunion restores Hobbs' hitting prowess, and the Knights surge into first place. However, at a team party, Hobbs collapses in pain and awakens in the hospital. A silver bullet removed from his stomach has caused long-term damage that could prove fatal if Hobbs continues to play baseball. With Hobbs hospitalized, the Knights lose three games in a row, setting up a one-game playoff against the Pittsburgh Pirates. The judge comes to the hospital and offers Hobbs an even bigger bribe to throw the game, threatening to expose his involvement with Harriet to the press. 
he reveals another team member is also being bribed. Memo visits Hobbs and urges him to accept the judge's offer and to walk away. Later, Iris also visits and assures Hobbs he is the greatest ball player. Hobbs then visits the judge at his office where he also saw Gus and Memo. Hobbs rejects the judge's bribe. The scene with Glenn Close standing up in the stands. I guess that was one of the most difficult scenes for them to film because they had to wait for a clear day and the sun to be at a specific angle because they wanted it to highlight the white that she was wearing and to be to send kind of a, a the sun rays to come through the hat to create a halo around her head to represent that she was his guardian angel. I did not see a halo. I thought it was just lighting and not necessarily waiting for the natural light. No, they actually used the sun at a specific point in the sky to create that look. That seems like a lot of work for something that they could probably do with lights. Well, they but what ha- do I know? They didn't have that lighting techniques in 1939. <laughs> well, I guess there's that, right? Because I did feel like I was well, in 1939 for sure. There were a lot of fucking lights up there in, on top of the bleachers. I <laughs> It looked like a minor league stadium. It looked like the stadium in Bull Durham. I well, was having such a hard time thinking that this was the majors. It's funny that you mentioned that because the when the director and everybody was trying to find a place to film this, they searched every single ballpark they could get to in America, and they ended up using a minor league ballpark. Yeah, well, it looked like it. So, so. no, and maybe, and I'm sure they did the research, and so that's probably what the ball fields did look like in 1939. So. There you go. And so now we have Iris come back into the story and the two reunite. What did you think of their their reun uh, when they reunited with each other? I just felt it was awkward. Mm-hmm. That she was at first, you know, she was very hot and cold. She was all happy to see him and she came all that way to see him. Um, and she was, you know, she was pretty positive. Until he wouldn't tell his story, and then she just walks out and she's done. And see, that's the problem I had with it. Glenn Close does fine. Robert Redford does fine, I guess. But what they were given was nothing, right? He didn't He didn't explain what happened. He was very vague about it. And 16 years is a long time. So that's, again, I felt that time span was just odd to me. And so it took me out of it for a little bit. The last time they met, they were ready to get married. Get married, right. And they didn't know, like you said, no letters, no dying phone calls, nothing. Don't, I don't get it. And and I get why he did it. He was ashamed. Okay. But 16 years that honestly, that's another one of the scenes that makes me feel like this Roy Hobbs, who's being portrayed as such a, a goody guy is not such a nice guy. He's not this good guy. I even said to my dad, he's not inspirational. He's not a positive character because again, he was willing to cheat early on. He basically told a woman that he was willing to marry her and never did. You know, he never even contacted her after this, all this happened, just left her, you know, standing there. Um, and then the third thing, when she reveals that she has a kid, did you immediately put two and two together that it was probably his kid? Yeah. Because I got that impression. My my dad and Julie basically said, no, we never got that the first time we saw this movie. I immediately thought, oh, so before he left, they kind of got together and... Kind of. 
and basically, Mostly. you know, 16 years later, she's got a 16-year-old son. And I'm thinking, so basically, he did all that and still never talked to her again. And even if it's not his, 16 years, he left 16 years ago, 16. Well, she got busy right away after he left town. That's yeah. right. Didn't, didn't agree with that, didn't like it. and uh, now, That it was his kid? I thought it was his kid. Now, oh, okay. now, apparently, my dad tells me that I heard it wrong. She never mentions that she has a 16-year-old or 15-year-old child, just that she has a child. So it could have been she had a 3-year-old child. She could have had a 4-year-old child. But it, She was really guarded as well as to what she wanted to reveal. Yeah. Well, as soon as she said, oh, his father is in New York, Yeah, I went, oh, she just made that up right there and then. Mm-hmm. Roy's totally the dad. And then I started doing the math, and I'm like, oh, the kid's got to be at least 16, right? So either way, yeah. So we go to this party, and, uh, you know, there, there's all this pressure on Roy to take this bribe and to throw the season. And, and we all know that Roy's too good of a guy. And when Roy doubles over in pain, it was right after Memo gives him something to eat i thought it was poison too. i thought she poisoned That's him exactly yeah what I, I was right there with you That's the first thing i thought of and was there was something in his drink and then you know what i said or the cookie or whatever he was given i said what the fuck am i watching right because <laughs> I, I i wouldn't have put it past him they shot roy in the beginning what they killed bumpy by running into the right field wall and it it wouldn't surprise me if it was fucking poison so to find out that it wasn't poison i was like oh because she's such a snake in the grass anyway right and so you buy that it would be poison um but it's not poison it's the bullet from when uh barbara hershey's character shoots him Mm -hmm. which i thought was a strange callback well, my first thought was she shot him back, you know, 16 years previously means he went to the hospital where they had to patch his wound. There's no exit wound, so the bullet has to still be somewhere. Why didn't they get the bullet out back Well, you then? know, here's what happened. He got shot, woke up. He actually crawled out, and he was living in the woods uh, for 16 years, and he didn't have any paper or a pen, so he couldn't write Glenn Close. Um and since he was the natural, it was really easy for him to survive. And then it took 16 years for the wound to heal. And that's when he walked out of the woods. I, I thought he was in a coma for 16 years. I thought that he was probably like unconscious for a period of time. But once again, you know, you can't be that great of a player if you're in a coma for a little while. So I guess he had 15 years or 14 years to get himself back up into tip-top peak condition again. Didn't he say something about he was either in and out or in the hospital for almost two years recovering? Something like that. I got to be honest, I kind of stopped paying attention. So there you go. I'm so Uh, looking forward to your rating on this. (laughs) So now after after we think Memo poisons him and finds out that it's not, he ends up in the hospital and we get this whole bit about the silver bullet in his uh, stomach. And if he keeps playing, he could die. So that's... Movie convenience. Yeah. And again, so many movies after The Natural have used that aspect. So when Memo visits him in the hospital, do you feel like that maybe at this moment she could be maybe falling for him? Nope. I actually thought that. I thought that the whole idea was it was obvious she was working with the judge and working with Gus, and I thought she was going to turn on them because she was really falling for him. No, nope, not once. Not once? You no, then him. why have Glenn Close in the movie? Well, he was he always pick had, her in the end. Well, then, right, so why why make it even all that? 
Have you ever seen the movie Some Kind of Wonderful? Yeah. I figured it was something like that, where basically, you know, our lead is in love with somebody and ends up realizing that it's his best friend that he's in love with or that has been loving him all this time. And even though the girl of, of his affection in the beginning was, you know, turns out to be really nice and really good and is a good person, that's not the one he's meant to be with. So I thought that was what was going to happen in this movie is that Memo in the end was going to re- you know, repent for everything she did, uh, maybe seek some atonement, and that she was going to basically give him up so he could be with the woman that he should be with. Nope, she was a snake in the grass from the very beginning, and that's how she ended uh, her character. Mm-hmm. And I guess my fourth what-the-fuck moment is conveniently there was another gun in the desk and she pulls it out and i'm like they're gonna why are we going back to this guys if it's in the book again no because i know how it ends right we've all seen the we've all seen the previews so you know i thought i didn't know what the fuck to think but she shoots the ground and you know he disarms her i thought she was gonna shoot the judge or shoot gus i thought she was gonna shoot one of them I thought somebody was getting shot. Yeah. I didn't. I don't know why she pulled it out and just shot the ground. To get their attention, probably. But fuck me. Why did we have to have that bit again? Just to make this movie longer? Oh, spoiler alert, guys. This film is too long. Well, I did also read somewhere, I thought it was interesting, was he was offered a $20,000 bribe, which in 1939 is 20000 In 1984, that would be worth almost $400,000. So basically, it was like getting a $400,000 bribe. Now, his salary, his contract was a $500 contract. Uh, comparatively, $500 in 1939 compared to 1984 would have been about almost $10,000. So this is a guy who's only getting $10,000 for being the best baseball player being offered $400,000 to take a bribe. And? I just thought, I mean, if you are being paid that little, living off of that little amount of money, $400,000 would be pretty tempting. Yeah, but if you have the equivalent of $10,000 in 1939. No, uh, no. Oh, in 84. Yeah. $10,000 still isn't bad. And we don't... This is his first time playing. He's got to have a, a a a year or two before everyone says that he's the best player ever. Well, mm-hmm. you know, and then he can demand that money. You don't go, you don't win the Super Bowl, and then no, you win the Super Bowl, and then they pay you. But when he's in the hospital, he's being told this is your last season. This you are done. So this is all the money you're going to make from baseball. It would make that bribe pretty tempting. And they actually based that idea off of shoeless Joe Jackson, who did take a bribe, yeah, and sure. which was part of the inspiration of field of dreams. Him taking the bribe was no shoeless. Joe Jackson was in field of dreams. That yeah, but it character. had nothing to do with the bribe, but they all wanted to play baseball again because they, he had taken the bribe and the players had taken the bribe, and they were all banned from baseball. So that's what could have happened had he taken the bribe, is being banned from baseball. Isn't that eight man out too? Yes. Yes, that is okay. the story of the of them taking the bribe. Yeah. So anyway, that was kind of the inspiration of how tempting the bribe would be. Yeah, but I never once thought it was tempting to Robert Redford. Okay. Now, in the book version, mm-hmm. um, he takes the bribe. And he hits the home run? No. Okay, well then, that's a dumb fucking ending. Do you want to know how the book ends, or do you want to get that to the... 
Oh, well. End well, of the story. We can do it at the end of the story, story. Because either but, way. It's, but anyway. Either way, it's dumb. Go at on. At this point in the book, he accepts the judge's bribe because he wants to start a family with Memo and realizes he's going to need money to start that family. So he takes the bribe. Uh, knowing that this is his last season anyway, so he's going to need the money. Well, good for Barry Levinson for changing it because that's just horseshit. Again, that goes right to Pete, you know, the critics and everything saying the movie is a lot better than the book. Yeah. I wanted to point out that this movie is in a very different time than where we are at today. And what I mean by that is the uh, the the fear of scandal, of bad press, when Max is trying to scare Iris with the uh, crime scene pictures, how much Hobbes is scared of having that information come out. The fear of bad press and what it could do to you was a very prominent issue back in the 80s and even more so back in the 30s. Your, you know, your, your status and how you are um, viewed upon by society has um, fallen fantastically. It is ridiculous how little people don't seem to care about that anymore. But back in the 80s, back in the 40s, that was a really big deal. Would Mm. you equate that to the same thing as cancel culture today? I don't know. It just feels the same thing, that people are so afraid of their public image these days because if anything comes out, and everything, of course, is on the Internet, um, they're canceled, they're done. They're out. So it's kind of, you know, Roy Hobbs is trying to keep his secret, you know, his secret shame. All that, all that tells me is that we live in a very unforgiving world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still recovering, Hobbs returns to the team. Pop tells Hobbs that he is the best player he has ever seen and says, suit up. As the game progresses, Hobbs realizes the Knights pitcher, Al Fowler, is the bribed player and warns him not to throw the game. Fowler starts pitching competitively, and the Knights stay in the game. Watching from the stands, Iris sends a note to Hobbs in the dugout saying she has brought their son to the game. In the ninth inning, the Knights are trailing. The Pirates bring in a young, hard-throwing pitcher who, exploiting Hobbs' condition, throws inside, attempting to harm him. Hobbs hits a foul that splits his bat. Bat boy Bobby Savoy brings him his own bat, the Savoy Special, which Hobbs helped him make. Hobbs, down to his last strike, his wound bleeding through his jersey, smashes the ball into the stadium lights, winning the game and the National League pennant. The victory secures Pop's share of the team and the Knights advance to the World Series. Later, back in Nebraska, Iris looks on as Hobbs plays catch with his son in the same field where he and his father once played. Roll credits. Well, actually, it says the end. What'd you think of that ending? Oh, my God. I laughed out loud. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Well, apparently people think it's a feel-good movie, so. Well, let me, ask, let me ask you this. Now, compared to that ending, the way that the book ends is that all the way up to that point, Hobbes still has taken the bribe and is planning on throwing the game. He is basically going up to bat every time and purposely either fouling out or striking out. Um, I mean, he's pretty much thrown the game at this point. There is no second player throwing the game. It is Hobbes. Um, he goes on to the very, you know, almost to the end of the game when Iris reveals to him that 
she's pregnant. She hasn't had the child yet, but she is pregnant from an earlier rendezvous that they have because in the book version, there is no beginning with Iris. He meets Iris during the movie, falls for her, starts to court her, and then decides to go with Memo instead of her. And Iris reveals to him that she is pregnant. This inspires him to give up and not take the bribe um, and to actually try to win the game. He goes on, and the pitcher that comes up at the end is a younger version of himself. It's another young player who is a natural. And the way the movie ends, he strikes out, and they lose the pennant. And Pops loses his place on the team. Yep. So it's a much darker ending in the book than it is. But he still goes on to be a father to the child with Iris, but he does not win the pennant. Okay. Would you have preferred that ending? Seriously? I'm just asking. You said that the ending was so hokey in the movie. Why Would, would that, you have preferred a darker ending? Why would that have been a better ending? I don't think it would have been a better ending, but it might have been a more realistic ending. No, I not at all. Uh, they changed it because they wanted to be, they wanted to end it with, uh, like Ken said, a, a bow on it at the end. And, and that's what they did. They wrapped it up in a nice little bow. Yeah, the book sounds like a downer and it's about baseball, so it's stupid anyway. So there you go. And then we get the uh, iconic slow motion home run that has been parodied numerous times and used in countless montages or epic moments in sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it comes down to, you know, you're down by what two. Yeah. You're down by two. You have to have two on and you're at the plate. It comes down to a full count and it's that last pitch and it's slow motion and the music swells and you know, it's going to happen. And uh, I thought it was funny that after he hits the ball into the lights and all the sparks and everything are flying, this, that, and the other, the way he's rounding the bases, he is so stoic. When he's doing it, he's not smiling. Mm-hmm. He's not going like, yeah, I just fucking did it. No, he's just like, it was another day uh, in the ballpark. My first thought. And again, I said this to my dad was back then a lot of those stadiums were made of just wood and the sparks showering down probably started a fire that killed everybody in the stands because they all panicked trying to get out and trampled each other. Talk about a dark ending. Yeah, that's kind of where I told him, I said, that's what we didn't see off camera. Nice. Did, did he tell you to shut the fuck up? Mm, not so many words. But he did point out to me to watch real carefully because you say son of a bitch is a swear. But there's actually a scene at the end where he hits the ball and it hits the scoreboard and there's one vendor there, like a hot dog vendor or drink vendor. Says, oh shit. He says, oh shit but doesn't actually say it out loud so yeah he says that's the only place they curse in the movie for him for many years son of a bitch would not be allowed on tv yeah. so back in 1939 1939 mm-hmm. probably was a curse yeah I, I expect it was so yeah they uh win the game naturally and uh you know he gets to raise his son and his stomach didn't burst he gets to walk away uh the way he wanted to, he got to play the game, prove that he was the best there ever was for one season. And what I want to know is, did they win the World Series? Apparently, it's inconsequential. Yeah, well, which is fucking stupid, too. That's what kind of drives me nuts about some sports films. They want to do it about the pennant. Should Did I say sports films? This is what drives me nuts about some of the baseball films. They want to do it for the pennant and not necessarily for the World Series. If you're going to do it, do it for the championship. 
Did you ever see the movie Major League? Yeah. In the first movie, didn't they just do the exact same thing where at the end of the movie they win the pennant, but it never says until the sequel what happened in the World Series? I think that's correct. I believe they didn't go on to say that they like lost after like three or four games or something. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. Yeah. So one thing I mentioned earlier is that the book takes a lot of its themes from the King Arthur story. Uh, the movie changed it to be more of the Odyssey, where if anybody's familiar with Homer's Odyssey, it's about a character, Odysseus, who's coming back from the Trojan War. He's been gone for a long, like I think almost 20 years, uh, to his wife and child. He's never even met his child, uh, but he's been gone for so long. And the idea is that he, along the way, gets lost because of his hubris, which is a lot a center of a lot of Greek stories, is that someone has an ego that's so huge, they end up being cursed. And in this story, Roy, he, he thinks he's the best and he's going to be the best. And because of that, he ends up getting lost in the story. And then there's a character called Calypso that tempts him and you know, away from his wife and away from his child while he's on his journey that sends him down the wrong path the same way Roy started having a, a losing streak. Um, there's other themes too with the bat having a lightning bolt. Lightning bolt represents Zeus, which um, is like a favor to the gods, which is one of the reasons why he does so well is because he is favoring the gods uh, with his bat you know, it's been blessed to the point where he's doing so well. These other characters, like the judge represents Hades, the lord of the underworld, who's always seen in the dark and in the shadows and making deals and and doing corrupt things. So there's just a lot of similarities in the way that this was written to represent the Odyssey. And if anybody's interested out there, I'm, I'm a big fan of Greek mythology. Uh, if anyone's a fan, look into it because it's a kind of an interesting read. I liked when they uh, reimagined the Odyssey with, Oh brother, where art thou? Where mm-hmm. art thou? I thought they did a great job in that movie as well. So it's, mm-hmm. it's less obvious. I think this movie is pretty obvious when you actually look at the comparisons uh, I had a trouble in some ways, except for the scene with the sirens in where, uh, you know, oh, brother, where art thou? Oh. So did either of you have a character that you uh, appreciated in this movie? For me, I think my character that I appreciated the most was Red. He just felt really genuine. As the in-between, you know, don't worry about it, kid. This is the majors, kind of like his mentor slash, kind of. you know, confidant. Yeah. yeah, I can see that. I liked I liked Pops. Pop, that, Pop was good too. That's I like where Pop. I was going. I I always liked Wilford Brimley, so yeah. I thought he was an enjoyable character. I, I tend to gravitate toward the coach character in these films, mm-hmm. um, and I liked Pop. I thought he was good. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there you go. And in a way, it's not that surprising that none of us chose the main characters. Also, uh, what did you think about that shot with uh, Hobbs standing in the door, doorway when he's asking if he can suit up and he looks like the golden boy he has his golden halo sun shining through his hair? It looked, uh, looked, <laughs> it looked so sappy. <laughs> yes, that did. That was sappy. But there was a moment in this film where I literally threw up in my mouth. Does anybody want to try and guess where it was? When he said suit up? No, but that's what reminded me. Hmm. 
Okay, lay it on me. So Iris comes to visit him in the hospital. Yeah. And I swear to God, this is the only acting we get from Robert Redford. Uh, I don't like his performance from the first two-thirds of this film. But anyways, he uh, he's sitting there, and he starts to break down, and he's apologizing, blah, blah, blah. And then he says verbatim, God, I love baseball. I, I couldn't do it. I threw up in my mouth. I spit it all over. It was the fucking corniest line I've ever heard in any movie. And I've seen a lot of movies. Yeah, it, it's tough when you have uh, when you have stuff like that that just like you just like roll your eyes to. Yeah, yeah. And for a film that's taking itself really seriously, and you know, it it, it is well shot and it is well made. Blah blah blah. But for to have a a, a line like that, I can't imagine. Barry Levinson sitting behind the monitors or watching this being filmed and crying at the scene going, good job, Robert. Good job. Well, like I said, this was made for moments and then they just kind of sort of pieced stories in between. All right. So are we ready to rate this bitch? I think we is. So, hey, Professor, uh, how do we rate our movies? We rate our movies on a scale of one to five. A five is like hitting it out of the park. You're ready to watch that movie again right away. A one is a movie where you struck out at the plate. You were there, you were present, and you whiffed three times. No thanks. Sorry, not going to do that again. And a three is somewhere in between. You're ready to watch it. Maybe not right away. Maybe you'll even own the movie someday. So like a double? Like a ground rule double. There you go. What's a zero? A zero would be somebody owing me two hours of my life back. I feel robbed of my time. So like every time I watch a baseball game? Sort of. Yeah, something like that. Your dad's movie, you go first. Oh, okay. How do I do this subtly as not to insult my father? Um, this movie, I thought, was an okay movie. It It is a good family, fun uh, movie with a little bit of an inspiration to it. Um, it's wholesome. It's, you know, except for a few of the darker points in it. Um, it's good, clean fun. Would I run out and want to watch this movie again? I've seen it. I I don't know if so much if I want to go out and watch it. Even if I'm surfing the channels and I see that it's on, I'm not likely to stop on it. I've never been a huge fan of most sports movies um again i like dodgeball i like the rocky movies i like those kind of movies when it comes to baseball or football i'm not a big fan of movies or tv shows about it um but on the other side of the coin my father said you want to watch the natural with me i would watch it in a heartbeat with him it's one of those movies that yes i would want to watch it with my father anytime he'd want to watch it um i would get the same joy out of watching it um, that just knowing he's enjoying the movie. So it, it's hard for me to rate this one. Normally I go right down the middle. Um, but since it's not a movie that I would want to watch, if say Ken suggested, let's watch the natural, I'd probably say, no, I'm going to have to go with probably about a 2.0 on this movie. All right. 2.0 from the comic book guy. All right, professor, you want to go? You want me to go? You go, Mr. Trejillo. All right. Hater. The Natural, um, well-made, well-acted. As far as baseball movies go or sports movies, it's not on my top 10. Um, 
first of all, as we stated earlier, I'm not a big fan of baseball, but I am a big fan of movies. And so if you can make the movie enjoyable and entertaining and fun, then I'll go for the ride with baseball. Uh, the natural was entertaining in some parts. Like you said, it was moments. Uh, but there were just too many. What the fuck is going on moments for me in this film? You know, when he gets shot, the 16 year gap, um, and then the, the second gun and blah, 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 on and on and on. So, um, you know, for that, I don't think I would ever watch this movie again. And it's not a, and it's not a, um, slight, and it's not a slight on the film. It's a slight on the sport. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, I, d I don't think I would want to watch this movie again. Now, you know, me being me, uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, sports films. Uh, I'm a big fan of them. But, you know, this one just didn't really do it for me. So I'm going to give The Natural a 1.0. Professor. Okay. All right. So The Natural. I realize that this is an iconic baseball movie. It is a movie that is shot beautifully. I appreciated the cinematography that the story um, is put around because that's pretty much what has happened. You have a story that is pieced together through the visualness of spectacular, fantastical baseball moments. And because of that, I feel that the movie falls short in general. It is not an entertaining watch outside of watching the splendor and wonder and the majesty of the beauty of the moment of baseball when it is elevated to godlike status. I think that this movie in general with Robert Redford, he, he does fine with it. I enjoy uh, all of the uh, supporting characters, recognizing all of these faces. These are all faces that I've seen throughout my life growing up, you know, in numerous different stories. So I enjoy having these different characters in there. And in general, it's just not something that I'm going to be looking to watch again, just because it's never been uh, on my radar before. This is the first and only time I've seen it all the way through. And so since I've seen it, I'm done with it. And so I'm probably going to give it, no, I am going to give it a 1.25. What was the 2.5 based on? Moments. Moments. That's fair. Are we going to pick another uh, listener submission? So this is the moment in the podcast where we pick our next film. And as John said, we will be picking another submission from one of our listeners. We will start calling them friends of the show. Now we have two special friends. Uh, Very special. And we want to say hi to those two special friends. We'll, we'll, for fun's sake, we will call them Zach and Ronnie. Uh, so keep listening guys. We appreciate all the support. Uh, I know that, uh, Zach has uh, submitted some more films and I have yet to see any from Ronnie. I know. So, and I keep poking him and I keep asking him when he's going to submit a movie. And do you get an answer? Not yet. He is still thinking what movie he wants to submit. Cause I've also threatened him that if he does submit a movie, I might just bring him on the show. Okay, well, we can we can cross that bridge when we get to it. Let's get him to suggest a movie uh, to start with. Baby Steps. Okay. That's what we'll say. Baby Steps. So uh, thanks again to everybody who has uh, submitted a movie. And I believe it is the professor's turn to pick. 
And here we go. So we are watching a movie submitted by Tatiana, a friend of the show. The movie that we're going to be watching is The Breakfast Club. The 1985 John Hughes coming-of-age high school story starring Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, Emilio Estevez, Ali Sheedy, and Anthony Michael Hall. There's a lot to talk about there. Oh, I can't wait to get into this. So thank you, Tatiana, for The Breakfast Club. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, we studied this one in my film class, so I'm really going to dork out on this one. All right, so I think that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. We just want to thank, again, everybody out there who's listening to us. Uh, keep listening. Share us. Tell us. Tell your friends about us. John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com. They can find us at various podcasting hosting sites, iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam. We're on any place I could get us to be loaded. They can find us on Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook. They can't find us on TikTok yet because the professor hasn't loaded any videos. They're not for public consumption. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We, I think we're going to adopt a new philosophy here on Three Guys. I think we're going to be family friendly. Well, that means if we start recording our shows video-wise, we're going to have to wear clothes. Oh, well, then I'm well, out. Uh, uh, we can talk about this what, later. What happens in Don's basement stays in Don's basement. I'm not opposed to that. So, for Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for playing ball. No, a- ask ask Don how many games of baseball are played in a season, John. How many games of baseball are played in a season? Don? Too many fucking games. 180 is it 182? 186? What is it? 307? How many more fucking games do you need in baseball? You know how many games they play in football? 17. Basketball, 82. Okay, a bit much. But 182? It's 162. 147 fucking baseball games? That is fucking insane. And and here's the other thing. They start spring training right after the World Series. So the World Series ends in October. We're going to start uh, spring training in November. Really? They say it perfectly in Bull Durham. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. It's all about the balls. That's what they say. Oh, my God. My middle school students, every time somebody says balls. (laughs) That sounds like John. Jeez Louise. It just drives me up a tree. It's about the same maturity, so yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right, fuck off. Good night.